But now that's swung the other way. So now we're at rates that were much higher than before the pandemic, which has made it challenging to buy. But it seems like the price points, at least in my markets, are pretty much stuck. But there are starting to become motivated um, sellers now that, you know, they're coming up to their mortgages and they can't renew or they can't refinance, you know, the way they used to and pull up massive chunks of equity. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey, it's Sarah Larby. You're listening to Where Should I Invest? And today's guest is Corey Spurley, who owns and invests in multifamily in the prairies and Alberta. We have a great conversation all about multifamily today. If that's something that you are interested in or have thought about or are currently doing, uh, we talk strategy. We talk a lot about analyzing and everything in between. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. But before we bring in Corey Dahlia, what do we need to know from a financing standpoint? What is this week's tip of the week? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. Happy New Year. I wish you and your loved ones a joyful, healthy, and prosperous year ahead. Today, I'd like to share with you a harsh and brutal truth. At the beginning of every year, many set new goals. So do real estate investors. They set new goals for their real estate investment journey and for their portfolios. A goal to finally buy their first investment property or a goal to step into bigger asset classes like apartment buildings or a goal to figure out how much cash flow is needed to quit their jobs and what strategy they're going to use to get there or a goal to take their real estate portfolio to the next level or a goal to get their real estate financing in order. Then the freshness of the new year mood changes. Life happens. The inviolable drift happens. And motivation is lost and another year goes by. Hey, it's not anyone's fault. In fact, it's actually part of the human condition and it's proven that humans suck at sticking with anything. Discipline and commitment through willpower will fail over time. So the big question is, how do you hack this? How do you hack this? And this is what I wanted to share with you today. I wanted to share with you some of the effective hacks that I've learned and I personally use to set and achieve goals. I've learned those over hundreds, if not thousands of invested hours and money in personal development and coaching, as well as working with many successful real estate investors who have not only achieved their goals, but surpassed their goals. And I've used these hacks to achieve two key goals in my life. One, uh, quitting my nine to five job back in 2011 and two, building Canada's leading income property financing enterprise, streetwise mortgages from the ground up. So let me share these hacks with you. Hack number one is when setting your goals, it is important to pause and deeply think about the why, the why behind the goal. A strong why will help you stay connected to that goal, emotionally connected, connected to the goal. It will help motivate you when things get rougher. And we know that success is not a straight line and you will encounter bumps and you will encounter challenges. So you're, if you're emotionally connected to the goal, that will help you find solutions and overcome the challenges and keep going. So instead of just writing down your real estate goals for the year, think about A, are you 
going after these goals because someone else is doing it and you feel the pressure to do the same or you fear missing out or isn't because you are truly connected emotionally to these goals and they matter emotionally to you and to your loved ones. It is also good to simplify and eliminate rather than add. Good to eliminate some goals and refocus your energy on what matters most. Stick with your top three goals that will help you move the needle this year. When it comes to setting and crystallizing goals, myself and my team have developed a proprietary process called the goals-based financing of investment properties. This coupled with the financing roadmap methodology will help you as an investor crystallize your real estate investment goals for the year, determine the number of properties needed to achieve these goals, and also map out the money sources as well as the money structures that will help you get there. Through this process, you will also find opportunities to save or stabilize your portfolio if you are experiencing high payments or if you have loans coming up for renewal or private mortgages that you need to exit. You want to launch into 2023 on a strong foundation. So to set up a complimentary goals-based financing planning session with my team, you can do so through our website at streetwisemortgages.com or email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Hack number two. One of my favorite quotes by James Clear, he is the author of Atomic Habits, is that you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. So putting a system and a process in place to help you stay on track and take action is needed to achieve the goals. And you can do this through many steps and daily and consistently. And that's what's going to get you there. For example, if you're looking to get into apartment buildings this year as a goal, first of all, you want to make sure that that goal is a smart goal. So you are setting up a specific, measurable, attainable, realistic goal, and you have a deadline for it. And then second, you want to grade that goal into many goals. So join an investment group. Invest in an apartment building. Hire a coach who can guide you through the journey. Identify sources to get access to deals. Plan your finances. Develop the skills that will help you raise money. Determine who will be on your team to help you as your realtor and as your mortgage broker. Then for each of these many goals that support your bigger goal, make sure that you block non-negotiable time in your calendar ahead of time to make sure that during that time block, you're actually taking action that will help you deliver on these mini goals. So the keywords here are pre-schedule, non-negotiable, consistent mini actions. You need to remember that slow and consistent wins the race. So on the money front, pre-schedule two meetings, if not quarterly, with all of your key advisors for the year for proactive and strategic planning and also reviewing and making any adjustments as the year unfolds, as you make progress and as your situation changes. This includes your accountant, your financial planner, your estate asset protection lawyer, insurance broker, and your mortgage broker. If you have not yet booked your 
annual and semi-annual complimentary planning session with my team, go ahead, do so as soon as possible at info at streetwisemortgages.com or through our website. The third half is your associations. Who you surround yourself with matters. So surround yourself with other investors who are not only pursuing the goals you are pursuing, but also have achieved these goals. Find someone who shares the same goals and shares the same values as you, and you can both keep each other accountable. Accountability is a big determinant when it comes to achieving your goals and succeeding at that. There is no shortage out there of fantastic online and in-person investment clubs where you can meet like-minded investors and where being part of a tribe can give you momentum and accountability. And lastly, measure, review, and adjust. You cannot improve what you cannot measure. So do not get caught in the action and the doing only. Pause every month, pause every quarter, see how you did and where you need to make tweaks going forward. This is why we have a semi-annual portfolio review with all of our clients to revisit, adjust, and enhance how we're doing things where needed. So if you haven't booked yours, go ahead and book. I know there is a lot of negative news out there and 2023 is an uncertain year. Don't let the uncertainties of 2023, though, hold you back. Don't let that hold you back from making the progress you need to make towards what matters most to you and your loved ones. There is so much negative news out there. Mute the media. Yes, stay informed, but don't let the fear and anxiety get to you. My team and myself are here. We are here to help you navigate. We are here to help guide you and help you manage risk and also help you prosper and make progress towards your goals in 2023. You can lean on us for guidance, for financing strategies and financing solutions that will enable, enable and support the achievements of the goals that you're setting for yourself in 2023. I cannot wait to see what you will achieve this year. Go ahead, book your goals and financing strategy session with my team. We're happy to guide you and help you launch into this year on a strong foundation. You can do so at info at streetwisemortgages.com or through our website at streetwisemortgages.com. Awesome, Dahlia. Thank you so much. Some great insight for sure. And guys, if you are thinking of changing your rental strategy and doing something different, think midterm rentals uh, and check out the midterm rental properties dot com and uh you can find all, out a lot more about that on that note i hope you guys enjoy the podcast with Corey. let's bring him in Corey, welcome to the show how are you thank you for having me on today i'm excited to be here awesome awesome so i'm excited to have you on we haven't really connected i mean we have through you know acquaintances and and uh and different events um so but uh tell us a little bit about you your uh your you know current investment strategy and we'll go from there Thanks, Sarah. So I started real estate investing. I guess I'm on my 23rd year. I started in 2000. Like a lot of people, I started with a house hack. So I bought a house that had a separate suite that I rented out. And, you know, I quickly became interested in real estate after that. I didn't have a lot of experience. There was really no uh, mentoring coaching programs available at the time besides Rain, you know, so I joined Rain to try to network with other people. 
So I ended up uh, working overseas. I had a pretty high paying job. So I was um, doing more passive real estate investing, but that's how I really steered into multifamily because, you know, the syndications were available where you could make like, you know, really good money in a short period of time. And this was in Alberta where the market was really booming. So that was how I got into multifamily and I've kind of been doing that ever since. Amazing. So what about, you know, since I guess the pandemic, like, have you seen more opportunities? I mean, you know, since I guess 2020. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy. I mean, at least in my portfolio and, and the buildings that I, I seek out, mostly Edmonton and Saskatoon, we didn't see a huge run up in prices during the pandemic like we did in single family. Like I live in Kelowna and like the real estate market here was very much like your markets in Ontario just went nuts, right? I mean, we had like 50% appreciation in, in two years. That didn't happen in multifamily. But what did happen was the interest rates dropped to like almost zero. So you could take a building that you had like a three or 4% interest rate and refinance it at like one and a half to 2% interest. Mm -hmm. So that was a really good time to be an owner. I refinanced one building and I think I owned six buildings at the time and I wish I had done more. But as for opportunities, I mean, price per door pretty much didn't change. I mean, I would have thought it would have, you know, really raised prices with the lower borrowing. But now that's swung the other way. So now we're at rates that were much higher than before the pandemic, which has made it challenging to buy. But it seems like the price points, at least in my markets, are pretty much stuck. But there are starting to become motivated um, sellers now that, you know, they're coming up to their mortgages and they can't renew or they can't refinance, you know, the way they used to and pull up massive chunks of equity. Yeah, I, th I think we're going to start seeing some of that. I don't think we've seen the effects of the increases quite yet. I mean, we're starting to see it where there's, you know, maybe some more motivated sellers here and there. But I don't think we've really seen it because people now have to, you know, as as they're going from a fixed mortgage to renew. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're going to realize that their payments are quite a bit more. It's going to be interesting to see how, you know, the banks all handle that as well, because I don't think they want to collect people's houses along the way. Or maybe they do, but I don't think they, they're in that business. Um I mean, you know, obviously multifamily is is very different uh, than single family or even, you know, I'm assuming when you say multifamily, you're talking about, you know, five units and up commercial multifamily versus, you know, the residential like one to four units, because uh, that's also considered small multifamily. Um, but, you know, let's go to actually let's talk about Alberta. Let's talk about your markets uh, a little bit, because, you know, I compare it to Ontario as an example where everything is rent controlled. Uh, and if you've got a multifamily building, most of them have been around for many years and most of the units have tenants that have been there for like 10 plus years and paying way below market and cash for keys aren't working as well anymore. Um, you know, like what does that look like as a landlord uh, in the multifamily space in the provinces that you're uh, buying in? It's crazy. It's almost a reverse strategy in Ontario. You, you profit by, you know, getting rid of your customers and replacing them with new ones. And on the prairies, you make money by retaining your your customers, I, I refer to them as rounders, the tenants that stick around. You give like yearly rent increases. They're usually like, you know, single guys in their 50s and 60s and they just rent forever. And that's the the, the tenants you want. You want to minimize turnover in Alberta. That's but what funny. you just said is like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, rounders. So I saw a rent roll of a building in Ontario. A friend sent it to me and, you know, rents are all over the place. You can see the new ones. Here's like, you know. Yeah. 1500 1500 then you'll see one for like 623 725 and it's just like what the heck is this but that's your typical ontario rent roll so how do you even start to value a building whereas in alberta i can walk in and buy the building raise rents pretty much the day i take over on the whole building so yeah. there's kind of two facets to that i mean i can get a lot of value quickly 
But in Ontario, you can get a lot higher rent increases if you're able to somehow turn that unit over. There's yeah, and, and that somehow somehow is always the question mark, right? I mean, like you get some out, you know, in a certain amount of time and but it's but it's part of the strategy. And this is why I think it's interesting because you you know, you could be buying a 10 unit or whatever in Ontario and a 10 unit in Alberta. And the strategy is completely different because, you know, for us, like you're right, we do want to replace our clients because unfortunately, um, with the rent control and everything that we have in place the, and the market rents and the immigration number and, you know, the vacancy, like our, you know, year over year increases could be, you know, in some markets, 15%, 20%, even 10%. But we're only able to do a 2.5% increase as the maximum we can do, thanks to our wonderful, you know, government that came into power back in the day and Ford, you know, moved some things around. But um, anyways, we won't get into the politics piece. But then you go to Alberta and it's the other way around, right? And so um, you, where you want to keep your clients and your clients may have an opportunity to go somewhere else if you are not careful and you raise it too high. But let's like maybe just share some insights on that because I mean you obviously have you know like people that you talk to in, in Ontario and you have people and you're doing your deals out out where you are. Um, anything else that you any more insights that you could share on that? Yeah, I can give you an excellent case study regarding that. So what you say about raising rents, I know I know in your markets and in BC, my market, if a tenant leaves, you don't even have to fix a unit. You can shovel someone in there with a massive increase by doing nothing. Now on the prairies, we had the oil crash that happened in 2015. And in Saskatoon, for example, where I also own multifamily, we had a situation where we had 5% vacancy in the city and pretty much in a span of three months that went to 20%. So I had units I was renting for $1,200. They moved out. I had to spend, you know, five, six, seven thousand to renovate. I re-rented them for a thousand. They moved out. I had to fix it again and re-rent it for 900. And that went on for almost three years. And I, I tell that to people in Ontario and they they kind of, they, they don't really, can't believe it. And yeah. I have a good friend, Mark, Mark Baldazar. I'll pick on him for a second. We have identical buildings. He has an 18 suite or Mississauga he just bought. 360,000 a door, great building. But it was like 40% vacant. And he said, I wouldn't have bought this building if it didn't have 40% vacancies. And I'm exactly. scratching my head thinking, what the heck? Meanwhile, I have an 18 suite that I'm buying that's 125 a door, okay? Which is the better deal? Well, that depends on your perspective. I mean- Toronto is probably the best market in all of Canada. You're, you're always going to find tenants. Is the upside going to be there? You know, time will tell. Like we'll know in five to 10 years. But I, I can tell you this about Alberta, Sarah, is, you know, we're at the long end of a massive rent kind of st stale time, right? Like since 2014, we're still not back to 2014 rents. So we're still $200 below that because mm -hmm. in Alberta, basically every 10 years, it's a boom and then a bust. Then a boom, we go slightly higher than down again. So, I mean, if you're an investor in Alberta, as long as you're in it for more than 10 years, you're probably okay. But you could ask anyone in Alberta in the last eight years has been ugly. But we're getting a lot of the benefit of people from Ontario that are moving to Alberta. Vacancies are going down and we're now starting to swing up in rents, mm -hmm. which is why I'm biased towards Alberta right now going forward, especially with multifamily. Yeah, that's funny. And you know, it's it, so Mark, so I know Mark well as well. And uh, you know, we, just like him, we also like to buy and like, how many vacant units can we get? You know, can we get this place vacant and convert it? Like we, we got into the commercial conversions because it's all empty yeah. <laughs> and we can start from scratch. And like, it's, it's just interesting how those markets are completely different when it comes to the rental strategy and then how to create and add value. 
And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to one of my go-to realtors, Jamil Rahimtula, who brings with him 15 plus years of experience as a real estate investor, as well as has a background in renovations and property management. He's found my last handful of deals for myself and also for my students and uh, is great at negotiations as well. But it is important that when you are picking a realtor that they are investors themselves, understand the investment game and have worked with many investors um, because they're going to be able to bring a team. They're going to be able to bring a team of solid trades and everything else that you need so that you can get into investing and continue your investing game a lot smoother. So in order to reach out to Jamil, you can call or text him. His number is 416-275-7819. Again, it's 416-275-7819 or his website, jamilrahimtula.com. Now back to the show. Um, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, evaluating a building and cap rates. Cause I think a lot of people that, you know, may be interested in multifamily, um, maybe don't understand exactly the difference uh, from an evaluation standpoint or how to analyze it. And like, we don't have to go into just the details, but maybe you can just share like the, maybe, you know, three bigger points, differences. Uh, so, I mean, cap rate, just, just to, uh, you know, a, a quick, uh, quick lesson on that is, is, is actually it's the net, net operating income divided by the purchase price. It's basically just a factor of risk and depending on the market you're in. So, you know, most cap rates are around five, 6%. So basically, the more the more money that your building earns, the more it's worth. Now that's the same whether it's in a, it's in Edmonton, Toronto, wherever it may be. But to get the net operating income up is is different in different markets, right? Like, for example, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan is the most landlord friendly province there is. I can raise rents every six months, right? With a you know with with six months notice. Whereas Alberta, it's every three months, right? But but I can only do rent rent increases once a year. So Cap rate is not so important going in. And I think for investors, it's very important for them to know this, Sarah. So for me, cap rate really applies when I go to refinance or if I go to sell the building. When I buy the building, cap rate really doesn't mean a lot because the income and expenses are going to change dramatically within six months of me owning the building. I'm going to have a pile of turnover. I'm going to do renovations. I'm going to be you know, putting in new tenants for more rent. So what I'm more concerned about when I buy is the market rent. So I do a market rental survey of what I can rent that unit in a renovated state in that area. And then I determine how much I'm going to pay for that building. So that's my determining factor. So we call it like a prevailing cap rate. Right now in Edmonton, it's around 5.75%. But the building could have rents that are you know, $200 below market. Well, I'm obviously not going to apply that cap rate when I buy. I want to look at what I can get it to in six months to, to 12 months, right? Mm-hmm. But there's other valuations. I mean, people use price per door. They can use gross rent multiplier. But cap is is still the standard one. But the most, most important metric right now is debt service coverage ratio, DSCR. In the, it's the cushion that the banks are willing to lend you because that's the biggest change Like from a year ago is the amount of money that the banks are willing to lend you because they need to see that cushion between the net income and your mortgage payments. So people get really fixated on cap rate mm-hmm. when it's your debt coverage ratio should be the one you're really focusing on right now. Right. Because if you get a mortgage that's, you know, I don't know, let's just call it one. So debt coverage ratio, I think is 1.2 ish, give or take yeah. is what they're looking at right now. So for every yeah. dollar, you know, you have to spend based on their calculations, you got to bring in 20% more essentially is is what it is. Right? And so 
Um, but if this is the the thing, right? So if you don't have the net operating income, your 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 income is not where it needs to be, and your expenses, as an example, like at some point you're not going to get the financing that you want, even if your mortgage, like your property is valued at like much more. The bank is only going to lend a certain amount based on that coverage ratio. Yeah, you nailed it. And there's a disconnect right now between cap rates and debt service coverage ratio. And it's almost effectively raise, artificially raising the cap rate. I just did an appraisal and it showed that it was still five and a half cap. They're still applying the same cap. But if you factor in the sales price, whereas you might have been able to get 75% loan to value, now it's like 60% loan to value. So it's basically the same as calling it a six and a half or a seven cap. But yeah, the real kicker is when people are going to renew their mortgages on multifamily, you know, they really hold your feet to the fire. So you, it, on a yearly basis, you have to provide your net worth statement, financial statements for the building, rent rolls, the whole shebang. So it's not like a renewal on a single where they, you know, they send you a piece of paper and you, you quickly sign it and send it back before anybody notices. You know, with multifamily, what's happening, if you don't have that net operating income, especially if you took out high equity amounts at cheaper rates, I have friends and acquaintances that have had to pay down loans, you know, by hundreds of thousands of dollars. So not only are they not refinancing, they're having to put money in right. just to keep the mortgage with that same company. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And, you know, what's your prediction for for multifamily for for the next year? I mean, we're obviously going into some instability, uh, you know, some uncertainty. Uh, are you doing anything maybe with your your portfolio or like? taking advantage of opportunities or are you also mitigating risk at the same time? I'm, I'm all in on buying right now. Uh, my strategy is a little different. Like right now, the strategy is, you know, MLI select CMHC. Yeah. It's a, it's an affordable housing program that you can borrow up to 95% of the value. And I know a lot of investors, they're doing a two-step approach, right? They're doing a bridge loan. They're getting the rents and values up and then they're refinancing with, with MLI and pulling out large chunks of equity, but you're also taking on a lot of debt. Now, like my friend Quentin, Quentin D'Souza out in Ontario there and out in um, Durham, he does a little bit differently. He just did a deal where he did creative financing. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to see a lot more creative deals, a lot more vendor takes, agreements for sale. But my prediction, I don't think the governments are going to create affordable housing anytime soon. Obviously, as you know, being in Ontario, it's a crisis all over the country. Yeah. I think it's going to be Alberta's gain. I think we're going to have massive rent increases in my markets as well as your markets. So I think as long as you buy a multifamily, you know, with moderate leverage, with a solid management plan, I think you're going to do okay. Like, I don't think rents are going to go down anytime soon. I think they're going to keep going up for several, several years to come. Yeah, no, I do agree with you, with, especially with the immigration numbers that we are seeing, you know, completely above everything else that we've seen in the past. And so yeah. they're going to need somewhere to stay. I mean, recently in Ontario... Um, there's uh, a new bill, I think it's Bill 23, that's coming out so that there's less red tape around being able to take a, a single family and convert into, you know, uh, more than, you know, essentially three units. Um, so I think that is one of their tactics potentially. But yeah, you're right. We're going to have a huge issue. They're not creating affordable housing. And even just to go back to the MLI select piece, it you know, you still have to look at the, the debt coverage ratio number because if you're going and you're Sorry. using... Uh, you know, which in Ontario is is probably a different scenario than you might want to do in Alberta. But, you know, when you look at like how much you need to be at and then you can't really raise it and you have to be, you know, a certain level of, of below market rents for a certain amount of time. I think it was quite long. Now, here's the thing is I, I still love the MLI Select program. And for those of you that are wondering, it's a new program that recently came out Canada wide and it just allows you to have 
you know, certain thresholds that you meet. And some of it is going to be the affordability factor from a rental standpoint. But, you know, there's also the energy efficiency and then there's the mobility piece, which is actually we focus on the energy and efficiency piece. I mean, that's just us in general, just because that makes more sense. But we did look at the affordability piece and we actually had a conversation with a mortgage broker and the DCRs wouldn't have worked to actually get the refi that we would want on the end. So we ended up just going with the points. But essentially, right, you get certain points and when you get certain points, you have a higher amortization, lower rates, um, you know, and essentially like you talked about 95% loan to value, like that's pretty good. You, ha- you can refinance and have 5%. And again, deal by deal, some of it will make sense and some of it won't. Um, but it's a new program. So it's, uh, you know, but it, it's something that they're doing to try to make it, I think, enticing for people to go into multifamily. Enticing is the great word. And it's also 50-year amortization. So if yeah. you're looking at it from that perspective, CMHC is still not giving that money away, right? I mean, they're still charging. I mean, the CMHC rate is now over 4%, which was unheard of a year ago, right? But it depends on where you are. I know in Ontario, you have rent control. So for me in Alberta to opt into the MLI Select program, I'm essentially imposing rent control on myself on 80% of my units in a market that's not rent controlled. So the argument is, as well, you know, you can still do the inflationary increases of 3% a year on whatever CPI is going to allow you to do. But in my mind, I'm thinking, if I partner with the federal government, you know, how can this end good for me, right? Like, <laughs> I, think, I, think we're at the, I think we're going to see 40% plus rent increases in Alberta and Saskatchewan in the next three years. And I say that because rents on a one bedroom pretty much everywhere else in Canada are over $2,000. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, are you looking for a reliable contractor for your next Burr multifamily conversion or flip project? Somebody who understands how to work with investors and also real estate investing itself. I've personally partnered with Lee Polak from Wise Construction. We're actively doing many projects together in Hamilton and Welland, so things like smaller three and four unit conversions and also some larger buildings where we're converting some large empty commercial spaces into residential units. And it's always been important to me to partner and hire a contractor who does not only high quality work, but is on time and on budget. And it's also a huge bonus that they have their own in-house trades, employees and a warehouse full of building materials so that they can avoid the many labor and material shortages that we hear about often these days. A good project done on time, on budget and with high quality work will be key to the success of your Burr multifamily conversion or flip projects. So to connect with Lee from Wise Construction, text or phone him at 416-525-5951. Again, that is 416-525-5951. And now back to the show. In my markets, there's still around 1,000. So I think there's still plenty of, of rental growth there. But I'm glad you touched on MLI Select because there are more components than just affordability. The accessibility one and the energy efficiency piece are also important as well. Mm-hmm. But on the affordable on the affordable piece, it is a wonderful program. I mean, you can get CMHC financing with only, I think it's 1% CMHC fee versus like four and a half to five. Mm-hmm. You can do a 50-year amortization. So the points and fees to get in are a lot less, but there's definitely a catch to the program. You know, I don't want to be stuck in, in Alberta where, you know, I'm limited to 3% when my neighbors are raising their rents 10%. So well, there's really a lot Especially if you're projecting that it's going to go up quite high and much higher, right? So 
but yeah. you, can still, you can still get points. Not, you know, you'll, you'll get 50 points if you do the energy efficiency as an example. Like there's, you know, maybe you won't get a 50 year AM, but you can get like a 40 year AM or, you know, instead of 35. So there's still some options and some things that could still work. Yeah, you want to have some mortgage pay down. That's the one thing I've learned in multifamily in the last 18 years is that you, you really want to have, you want to come to your five-year point with some equity. So whether mm -hmm. you've put a lot of equity up front, 25 down, or yet it's, you had a really good interest rate to pay that down, you don't want to be in a position where you're at the five-year point and you still owe the same amount of money. You're just, you're a sitting duck for a margin call at that point. Yeah, for sure. So are there like specific lenders that you, you know, have done the majority of deals with like types of lenders that you're able to share? Yeah, so I, I use mortgage brokers prim primarily, and this has been a really big change in multifamily. My go-to when I started doing joint ventures, Sarah, was I always did conventional financing. I never went CMHC. I did it because I could, I could do a loan in 60 days. I didn't have to get my investors to sign personal guarantees. I could do it all myself. The rates were about a half a percent higher. So I borrowed about three and a half percent, 25 percent down. I could cookie cutter those deals all day long. Now, what's changed in the last couple of years is those conventional lenders have all but disappeared, except for major centers or maybe a five million loan or more. Right now, CMHC is pretty much the only game in town. And not only that, they're really wanting you to opt into this MLI program. So they really are really trying to push it. You know, in fact, I just did a CMHC loan where I opted out of it. And they, they basically like, are you nuts? So why aren't you doing this? Everyone else is doing this, right? And I was the only one who went conventional. I paid the 5% fee. I did a 40-year amortization. Um, but even some of the CMHC lenders have disappeared. Like, for example, um, you know, on a refinance, we would ha have a choice of like 10 banks. Now, I think there was like three. You know, even some of the main ones, like, like People's Trust, they wouldn't even do it for for 5 million now. Mm. Like they were doing $500,000 loans like a year ago. So there's always changes with multifamily lenders, which is why I like to work with a broker. There are, there are, there are good banks out there. I know Mark works with First National, like First National is really good. If you want to work directly with a bank outside of a broker, because you're going to save some fees there. But I prefer to work with a mortgage broker, Sarah, just because it's hands off for me. You know, they don't get paid until the deal goes through. So they have a vested interest in getting the deal done for me and can usually get me better terms than I could get on my own. Yeah. And they really work for us as the investor versus working for the bank. So I am a big proponent Absolutely. of working with mortgage brokers. And that's that's like, unless I'm going to do renewals, otherwise the mortgage broker does the, <laughs> does the work and all the paperwork. And I hate sending paperwork and stuff. So they can do that all on their behalf. Um, awesome. So what like what is next for you? Like, what are your goals for 2023? Yeah. So I want to, I've kind of taken a bit of a break. I did some coaching in 2022. I did a couple summits and yeah, you're on one of those. And thank you again for that. It was, it was a great piece. We're probably going to do another summit in probably around April, May mm -hmm. on another resiliency because the real estate market, you know, keeps changing and I'm finding my audience. They really like to be up to speed on, you know, on changes because as you know, being in the market yourself, you could, it almost changes on a daily basis, right? People aren't tracking stuff that you and I are tracking. But I want to get big into multifamily. I want to pick up at least 100 units this year, maybe more. I'm actually in the process of uh, looking at syndication options to go from buying buildings, you know, in a, with a single company with, you know, maybe five or six investors to going into an LP, you know, raising like five, $10 million and buying several buildings at once. Because I feel that we got a really good window, about 18 months of good buying. 
I do think there's going to be a, a bit more um, price adjustment in multifamily in the next six to eight months, just because at the beginning, like we said, with the delay, you know, it takes a while for sellers to wake up to the new reality. It doesn't matter what it is, right? So I think the good deals are going to come maybe towards the end or mid middle of 2023, but I'm ready when a deal comes. So I want to have a mechanism in there where I have capital available that I can take advantage and buy as many units as I can. Because that's that's really what I enjoy um, doing the most um, with real estate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's it's going to be an opportunity that we haven't seen for, I think, years. We've always been waiting for these, you know, these opportunities where we can negotiate and, you know, and everyone's waiting on the sidelines and you kind of have your pick. And I think the time will be next year. For how long? I don't know. Is it four months? Is it eight months? Is it, you know, it, it really is going to depend on on how this all plays out. And I think it's not going to be all of Canada that's going to fall in the same bucket. I think it'll be different regions of each province is going to, you know, different price points, uh, different strategies. So I think it's just going to be a, a good year to pivot, but to figure out what the next opportunity is and, you know, strategically plan for for your acquisitions as at the same time, you know, look at your portfolio and just mitigate your risk as well. Because I think that's just as important, right, to have that conversation with your mortgage broker, your financial planner, whatever it is, you want to look at the upside, you want to look at the downside, just the same. Risk mitigation piece is massive. Like before I would be telling people you should have 5% of the purchase price of a multi in reserves, you know, now I'm saying it's seven and a half percent, you know, deferred maintenance, deferred maintenance issues are, you know, are fatal, but on opportunity, I mean, even in Ontario, you're in a very expensive market. Haven't seen a major correction there since like 1989 to 1996. You know, most investors, including myself, weren't investing back then. Yeah. So now, I mean, it's really a good opportunity to sit back and watch. There's going to be motivated vendors. There's going to be opportunity. You know, with challenges comes opportunity. But I do think, I agree with you 100%. We need to put risk mitigation, you know, ahead of opportunity. You know, I've learned some hard lessons. I actually got lucky on a couple of my buildings. I managed to sell them off in strong markets when I made mistakes, made money on projects I probably shouldn't have. And learn from those. And now that we're in this higher interest rate environment, which is not really crazy. I mean, my first mortgage in 2000 was 8%, right? So if sure. anything, we're really just kind of getting back to normal, the new reality. But yeah, we do have to be cautious moving forward for sure, but optimistic. Yeah, it is a new reality. I, I think those low interest rates were, were were nice when they were were there, but it's not, you know, it's not realistic to, to keep that forever. Um, awesome. So the next part of the podcast, Corey, is a lightning round. Every guest gets to save five questions. Answer in 20 seconds or less. Are you ready to play? Oh, boy. Okay, you betcha. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Today's lightning round has been brought to you by midtermrentalproperties.ca. It is a new way to rent, make more cash flow, take back control over our investments and our portfolios using a different creative strategy and pivoting. So if you want to find out more, go to midtermrentalproperties.ca. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Oh, that's, um, that's actually this one. This is a very, very not known book, but this is Real Estate Investments and How to Make Them called Milt Tanzer. This is actually an American book, but this is where I learned all about cap rate, gross rent multiplier, I'm kind of a nerd for this. Awesome. And then second favorite book is Commercial in Canada. Oh, by uh, Boyron. Yeah, Claude, right. Claude Boyron and his father. Awesome, yeah. awesome. I'm uh, I'm good friends with Luke, the young one of the younger sons. Oh. He used to tell me yeah, stories he's awesome. about how when they used to uh, type 
they like all the kids would take turn because the dad would write everything down on paper and then the kids were like putting everything and typing everything and it would be like hours. <laughs> yeah, it was a family project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Very cool. All right, number two, it doesn't have to be, you know, real estate related, but do you have a favorite podcast? Ah, podcast. I mean, I, I, I like, uh, I like the real estate ones. I, I love Elizabeth Kelly's. I mean, I, I'm kind of biased towards hers because she just has so many different types of real estate and different, different avenues. I mean, I also listen to, I also listen to Joe Rogan. I like his as well, mm -hmm. but I'm not a huge podcaster. I do like kind of listening to stuff on the road when I'm going, but I mean, the, the top real estate ones would be, you know, I've actually just started getting into this this year. I really wasn't into podcasts or anything until just recently. So I'm just kind of newly discovering this, but those are just a couple that, that come to mind right off the top of my head. Awesome. Awesome. You newly discovered it and now you're already on podcasts. <laughs> Thanks to <Cool>. you. <laughs> Very cool. Number three, what do you do for fun? Oh, for me, it's snowboarding. I mean, I live in Kelowna. People automatically assume it's a beach town, but <laughs> you know, for me, when the snow flies, Snowboarding and martial arts. Like uh, I'm training for my black belt in Taekwondo. Those are my two passions, uh, besides my children, of course. But Very martial cool. arts and snowboarding. All right, awesome, awesome. You know, I used to. I'm not. I haven't done it in so many years. I want to get back into it. But I used to teach snowboarding. That was like my job in high school. Get out of here. Uh, but you know what? It's just I, I. I like the more I think I age, the worse I do with snow and I and cold. <laughs> I just gotta get somewhere warm instead. But I do miss it. But that's cool that you do that. Uh, number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, all your money, all of your assets, how would you start again? Well, I would, yeah, I would, I would do a syndication right off the bat. I mean, I'd go into a multifamily deal and I'd raise capital. That would be the first thing I might, I would might learn a strategy like rent to own or something like that, that, that didn't involve cash, but it would definitely involve a component of real estate because I was wiped out, but I still have my knowledge. I would just go with what I know, which is raising capital and finding deals hundred percent. Okay. All right. And last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend that money? Right now, honestly, education, you know, take, take, a, take a few courses first. I mean, take, take your midterm rentals course, take a multifamily course. I mean, hire a coach. I would use, you know, probably 20,000 of that just for training right off the hop. And that would leave you a little bit for a down payment. You know, I'd put that in, maybe invest it into a REIT or something that can earn interest while you're learning. And then you have a choice of, uh, getting into a passive investment or saving for a down payment on your own property. Um, but I would invest in education first, maybe even the whole 50000 Okay. All right. Thanks for playing the lightning round. Corey, where can my listeners reach out and find out more? The best place is probably just through my website, altinequities.com uh, slash contact. You can, you can reach me through there. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. You can just search for my name, Corey Sperley. I do post on there periodically, but uh, those are probably the best ways. Great. Amazing. Corey, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on and uh, lots of great insights, you know, and, and reasons why Alberta and the prairies may be uh, another opportunity and, and something for, you know, people that are listening to this uh, to add to their portfolio. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I had a lot of fun today. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.